The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Well, there was a Saturday just a few months ago in Sydney where it just rained and rained and rained and roads got flooded, trees fell down, backyards got washed away. It was a perfect Saturday to just stay home, do nothing, read a book, maybe have a hot drink. Except my boys had Saturday sport and they didn't cancel the games that day. But, fortunately, I was away at a staff conference, so my wife had to take my three boys, and she stood in the mud, the wind, and the rain that Saturday. That day's put me into debt with my wife, and I'm still paying that debt off. But it makes you wonder, why do we put kids into Saturday sports? Well, there's this idea that sports is good for them. Sports will even get them ahead in life, and sports will help them be successful. Why do we make our kids do anything? Why do we make them do violin lessons or maths tutoring or Chinese lessons? Again, there's this idea that our kids need to get ahead. If they don't get ahead, they'll fall behind. But if we can get them a head start, they will succeed in life. Our kids carry our dreams, our ambitions, and our insecurities, so we need them to succeed. And it's the same for us. What do we do to succeed? Maybe we need a qualification and so we chase an MBA. We look for things to put on our CV. Maybe we need a tailor-made suit to present ourselves better. Maybe we need experience like an overseas job. Or maybe we need to build up more social capital. If only we were better at golf or tennis or we were part of the whole private school rugby network. Our question is this. How can I find extraordinary success, especially when I don't know what tomorrow brings? Well, welcome again to the Forum Talks. I'm back for the next month. Our overarching series is called The Extraordinary in Life. Our four topics are these, success, goodness, life, and legacy. Each week, one by one, we'll look at these topics and see what the Bible, a book called Ecclesiastes, has to say about our topic. This comes in the form of a 20-minute talk from me now, followed by about 10 minutes of question and answer from you guys. And today's topic is success. And we can define success as us finding what we're looking for, us achieving whatever we're chasing. Maybe we pass an exam, or it's a qualification, a job, a title, a position, a trophy family. But when we find whatever we're looking for, we have found success. And the Bible, Ecclesiastes, has this to say about success. Ship your grain across the sea, and after many days you may receive a return, you might succeed. Invest in seven ventures, yes, maybe even eight, but you don't know what disaster may come upon the land. How can we succeed when we don't know what tomorrow brings? What might succeed today might bring failure tomorrow. We just don't know. So how can we find extraordinary success? Well, in the outline in front of you, you can see there are three parts to today's talk. The first part, we'll look at 
well, how do we usually understand success? In the middle part, we'll look at, well, what are the limits to this success story? And in the final part of the talk, we'll look at, well, what's an extraordinary way to see success in the Bible? So let's begin with the first part of the talk. How do we usually understand success? And usually we see success as a meritocracy where we have to earn our success. Now, a little while ago, some friends of mine said, hey, do you want to join us for a Saturday run through the Royal National Park? So I went to run with my friends in the Royal National Park. But when I got there, I didn't realize this wasn't just a fun run with friends. It was a private race that they had organized. And so when the gun went off, all my friends took off without me. I was left alone and I didn't even know the course. So I just started running in the Royal National Park, not knowing where I was going. And after two hours of running without water, being lost, I finally stumbled across across a road. So I hitched a ride. Actually, I didn't hitch a ride. I threw myself in front of the car and I forced the car to stop. And I got the car to take me to the finish line. When the race was all over, humiliation of humiliations, they actually put out an Excel spreadsheet that they emailed to everyone with your names, your times, your position, and your ranking. And I came last in that race. I didn't know it, but I was in a meritocracy. I thought I was doing it for fun, but I was being ranked with a place and a percentile. And that's what life is. That's what success is. It's based on a meritocracy. It's the whole point of the HSC. They will give you a number, a position, a placing, a percentile, a ranking. That's what a meritocracy is. If we can climb up the rankings, we have succeeded. But if we fall down the rankings, we fail. And it doesn't end with a HSC. The whole of life is a meritocracy. So when you go to a dinner party and they ask you, what do you do? That's a ranking question. They're ranking you. And so if you can say, I am a fighter jet pilot or a brain surgeon, you climb up the rankings... But if you say something like, oh, I'm an out-of-work writer or a Bible teacher, you fall down the rankings. So you just see the look in their eyes, oh my gosh, how do I get out of this conversation? And sometimes they just say, excuse me while I talk to someone more interesting, and they walk away. But in life, we're being ranked. That's what success is. It's based on a meritocracy. To succeed, we have to be the fastest, the strongest, the fittest and the smartest. And that's what success is. It's based on a meritocracy. Well, let's come to the middle part of the talk now. Well, what might be some limits to this traditional success story? Here I want to say three things. Number one, we can't all be winners. Now, when I was a little kid, I did what every Asian kid had to do. I learned the piano. And it's funny, Asian parents will make their kids learn a musical instrument, but at the same time, they don't want their kids to grow up to be a musician. No, because there's no money in being a musician. They want you to be a doctor or a lawyer, but somehow they still force you to learn a musical instrument. And I was so bad at it. I was so bad at it. I tried to be good, but I was so bad at it. At the end of the year, they had an award ceremony, and the teacher gave out some A's, some B's, some C's, And when it got to me, she gave me the Encouragement Award. And the Encouragement Award is a euphemism for, well, it's not an A, it's not a B, it's not a C, it is something else. 
And that's the problem with the success story. We can't all win. It tells us we can all be winners, but we won't all win. For someone to win, someone has to lose. If we're going to give A's, B's and C's, someone has to get the encouragement award. If it's a percentile and a bell curve, if there's a front half of the bell curve, well, there has to be a bottom half of the bell curve. And that's what I tell people. I take the encouragement award. I take one for the team so you guys can get your A's, your B's, your C's. For someone to succeed, someone has to lose. You know, so if I can be the bottom half of the bell curve, you can be in the front half of the bell curve. I make your success possible. But that's the thing. We can't all win. We won't all win. And what do we do with that? Because the Western success story says this, we can all win if we try hard enough, if we believe hard enough, if we dream, just like the little train who could, could will itself over the hill. We can will ourselves to success. Well, what do we do when we don't succeed? Because we won't all win by definition. Well, then it must mean we didn't try hard enough, we didn't dream enough, we didn't believe enough. Just like we praise our winners we also have to blame our losers. That's the first problem with the success story. The second problem is this. We can't win at everything. I have three boys. This is them, Toby, Cooper, Jonty, aged eight, six, and four. And we've fallen into the parent trap. And every parent promises they will not fall into the parent, parent trap. This is not going to happen to me, every parent says, but sooner or later, this is what happens, and this is what our normal week looks like now. There is swimming lesson, then there's band practice, then there's football practice, and then there's clarinet lesson, and then there's Saturday sports. Our week is full. We didn't want it to happen, but it happened. And then some well-meaning person will say, but what about Chinese lessons? You've got to get them doing a foreign language because it'll wire their brains in a certain way to make them smart. You've got to give them Chinese lessons. And then some say, where's the piano lesson? You've got to do piano lessons. Clarinet's not a real instrument. You've got to have both hands working. You've got to learn piano as well. So anyways, you can't do everything. You can't win at everything. You can't succeed at everything. You have to make choices. So this is Lisa Pryor. Her book is The Pinstripe Prison. My boss, Al Stewart, loves quoting from Lisa Pryor. And this is what Lisa Pryor says. She says in life, it's like we have four burners going. Four burners. One is career. One is family. One is friends. And one is fitness. And all four burners are just grumbling away. But if you want one to light up and succeed, you've got to turn down the other ones. So if you want your career burner to do well, well, you've got to turn down one out of the other three. You've got to choose. Am I going to turn down family or friends or fitness? If you want to excel at career, now you've got to turn down two out of the other burners. So you have to turn down maybe family and friends and just have fitness going, or you might have to turn down fitness and friends and just have family going, but you can't have all four going in your life. We have to make choices. We can't succeed at everything. This is Alain de Botton, a psychologist. He gave a TED Talk on success, and he says the same thing. You have to make choices. If you want to be a successful writer, well, now you can't be a successful father because time spent on writing means you can't spend time with your children. But if you want to be a successful father, 
You can't be a successful writer. The time spent with your children means there's no time spent on writing. We have to make choices. We can't win at everything. And this is what the Bible's sort of hinting at. Verse 3, If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. And where the train falls, a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. It says you have to make your choices. Is the tree going to fall south or north? Is it going to rain? Is it not going to rain? You can't, you know, have something going on everywhere. You have to make your choices. Where am I going to succeed? Where am I going to plant? And then the other third and final problem with our success story is this. We can't control the future. So this is Leicester City. And to the football fans out there, you know why there's a picture of Leicester City. Because this year they won the English Premier League, but no one thought they were going to win it. So at the start of the year, bookmakers gave them, you know, 5,000 to 1. Had you and I put $100 on them at the start of the year, we'd have $500,000 right now. Had you and I put $200 on them, you and I would have a million dollars right now. And we wouldn't be here right now. We would not be here in the city at a Wednesday lunchtime. Now, who would put money on Leicester City? Well, this man, he is the former editor-in-chief of The Economist, now the editor-in-chief of Bloomberg. He, every year, as a birthday ritual, will put money on Leicester City. Every year. Did it without fail for 20, 30 years. It was his birthday ritual, except this year, because he moved from England to America, changed jobs, fell out of the birthday routine, and he said, oh, but that's a thing. We can't control the future. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. This man, he sets up Cinnabon franchises, and Cinnabon is like McDonald's, where instead of burgers, they sell cinnamon buns. So it's a franchise. He sets them all over the world. And in 2012, he thought, hang on, look at this country. It's got a strong emerging economy, a strong, wealthy, emerging middle class, Perfect for Cinnabon franchise, except the country was Syria. And he set it up just before the Civil War. And of course, everything went bust. And he says, he just couldn't see this was going to come. We can't control the future. That's the problem with the success story. We cannot control what's going to happen. See, a Sydney real estate price is going to go up next year? Or do you think they've tanked and they're going to go down next year? We don't know. What's the US dollar going to do next year? Is it going to go up or is it going to go down? We don't know. What's our health going to do next year? Uh, you know, will your back pain come next year? Will a family member get cancer? We don't know. What about a car accident or pedestrian accident? We don't know. We can't control the future. And that makes the success story very, very hard. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 5. As you don't know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning and at evening. Let your hands not be idle, for you don't know. You don't know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. We cannot control the future. We don't know the outcome. So it makes the success story very, very hard. So let's come to the final part of the talk now. What's an extraordinary way to see success? What's the Bible's way to see success? And here I want to say two things. Number one, success is more a gift from God 
rather than something we gain from our own work by meritocracy. Success is a gift from God rather than something we gain from our hard work as a meritocracy. Back to the piano example. So I was the good Asian kid. As much as I didn't like it, I learned the piano until the age of 18. I practiced and I've got I've all got almost nothing to show for it. And this is how I learned the piano because I was so not good at it. And maybe you piano learners will understand. The teacher will give me a, a piece to play and she'll give me four bars to practice with my right hand. And that's all I had to do for that week. Next week, she'll give me f- the same four bars to do with my left hand. And that's all I did for the next week. And then the next week, I do the same four bars but with both hands. And that's all I did that week. Following week, we go to the next four bars, right hand, left hand, together. It would take me one year to learn a whole piece. I still remember I did piano for the HSC. I could only get one piece ready for the exam. I I couldn't get all four pieces ready. I'm happy to play at your wedding or at your church, but you've got to give me one year's notice before I can play. But my wife, on the other hand, she hardly took any lessons. She never practiced. And what, how she learned the piano is this. The teacher would play the piece for her. She would hear it and she could play it instantly. The whole piece with both hands. And she would actually pretend to read the music. She didn't need the music. But for the sake of the teacher, she pretended to read what was in front of her. Now, I worked much harder than she did. But by nature, by some genetic predisposition, she is better at music than I am. She is more successful. So that is a gift from God for her to enjoy, which I never got to enjoy. It's a yes, it's hard work, but there's more than hard work. Success is a gift from God because it's not just even our genetic predisposition. It's the circumstances. We can't control what country we grew up in. Our parents chose our schools for us and we can't choose our parents. So God controls everything that contributes to our success. So that means if we're successful, we praise God, but at the same time we're humble, knowing that we only contributed a little bit with our hard work. God controlled everything. And if we fail, we trust God. He has a better plan, a better future than what we had been hoping for. And this is what the Bible is saying. Verse 7, light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. Everything is a gift from God. Enjoy the sun. Enjoy the life he gives us and enjoy the success that he gives us. It's a gift from God to enjoy. Praise him for what he gives us. Trust him for what he doesn't give us. But don't be proud to think, hey, I made me who I am. So that's the first thing the Bible says about success. It's more a gift from God than something we gain. And the second thing is this, have a bigger perspective on success. Have a bigger perspective. Because the Bible goes on to say this, however many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all, but let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you're young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Have a bigger perspective. Yes, excel at friends, family, fitness, and work, 
but there's a bigger success to worry about, and that is, are we right with God? Because that's where we need to be successful. It's like the, the exam paper. We turn up, write your name, answer the questions at the front, but they always tell you, turn the page over, because that's the money question on the back. That's the essay question worth, you know, 50 or 60% of the whole exam. So don't, yeah, get the questions at the right, on the front right, but the money questions at the back. And it's the same with us. The questions in life that we sweat over, friends, family, fitness, and work, they're the little ones. But the bigger perspective is this. Am I right with God? Do I have a functional, personal, right relationship with my God who loves me and made me? That's where we need to be successful. That's what the Bible says. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So make sure we're right with God. That's true success. And then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. So we're successful in this area of life. We can cast off anxiety because it really doesn't matter then how successful we are in the other areas of life because they're just a gift from God anyway, for us to enjoy. So that's how we can find extraordinary success. And it means it really comes down to which story we want to tell. Because here's one way we can tell our life story. You know, look at me, I'm 40, my marriage is failing, my kids don't want to talk to me, my work is failing, I'm just a small cog in a big machine, and now my doctor tells me I need to lose weight, I'm a failure in the eyes of my friends, my family, and myself. That's one way of telling the story. But the Bible gives us an extraordinary other way of telling the story. And it's this. Well, look at me. I'm 40. My marriage isn't all it could be. My kids don't talk to me. My work is a failure. My body is failing. My doctor wants me to lose weight. My friends think I'm a failure. My family think I'm a failure. But in God's eyes... I'm a success, so successful that he has made me his child. He sent Jesus to die for me, Jesus to live for me. God loves me just the way I am. He loves me too much to leave me the way I am. He's put his spirit in me to make me more and more like Jesus. So in God's eyes, I am a success. And that's a true success that counts. And that's why we can then cast anxiety off, enjoy what God has given us, Trust him for what he hasn't given us because in the end, extraordinary success is to be right with the God who loves us and made us. Uh, sure. Yep. Meritocracy is good for the winners. Well, it's, um, the, it's good for the winners. Yeah. Question mark. Question mark. Okay. It's good for the winners. Well, yes and no. Like it's, um, so a more nuanced view of success is this. So God gives us our success because he controls everything that contributes to the success. So again, there are many things out of our control. We can't choose the country we were born in. We can't choose our parents. We can't even choose the schools our parents sent us to. So there are many things that are out of our control. We can't even choose you know, the musical gifting that we're given. Like I got none. My wife got heaps. So we have to contribute to that. Yes, we have to contribute to that. But at the same time, we have to be humble that my success actually comes from factors out of my control. And so, yes, it's good, 
but the praise and glory go to God. Yes, I worked hard. Yes, I contributed. But really, the praise and glory go to God. So I'll give you an example. They say there are at least three things that contribute to us being good at something. So one is what you're born with. So my wife was born with a musical ability I don't have. Two, it's the hard work you put into it, the hours of piano practice. And three, it's technique, like the coaching you're given. So let's say I want to run a 100 metres race, all right? So I can train for a 100 metres race. I can get a coach that teaches me good technique and I can shave off a few seconds, but I don't have the genetic predisposition of Usain Bolt. So I can practice harder than he does. I can have better technique than Usain Bolt does. I can believe in myself more than Usain Bolt does, but Usain Bolt will still win. But then that means Usain Bolt should then be humble, really thinking, okay, this is something that God has gifted me. Praise God for it. I enjoy the gifting. But really, um, it wasn't just the practice of the hard work. I have something, someone else to thank, someone else who gets the glory. Mm. 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 All right. So the question was, as a Christian, I struggle with the word success because the Bible doesn't talk so much about success, but be excellent. Yeah. Yeah, be excellent whatever you do. And I agree with you. So it all comes down to how we define success. So I define it as us getting what we're looking for. So in the end is what should we be looking for? And if we redefine those things, and Elaine de Botton says the same thing, we, the West has given us this definition that's unachievable, uh, where you can win at anything and everything, and you get the glory. If we modify that definition, then we still can be successful with that modified definition. But I think you're right. The Bible says be more excellent. So it has that parable with the people with the talents, to the one given one talent, five talents, and ten talents. God has given you something, so be faithful. So the category is faithful. Be faithful, be excellent with what God has given you. So don't be lazy. Uh, so if you have a musical ability, don't waste it. Don't be lazy with it. Use it in a way that, that, that you can enjoy and also that glorifies God. Yes. Sure. Is there any difference between your understanding of, of success that, that you've been suggesting uh, and Monty Python's always look on the bright side of life? Uh, is there any difference? Is there any difference between the way I suggest success, uh, define success, and the way Monty Python say, always look on the bright side of life? Well, I think it is very similar to Monty Python's always look on the bright side of life because it all comes down to how you tell the story. It's all about reframing the story. So facts and data are uh, by themselves neutral, but they always need to be interpreted and told through a story framework. So one I often love to tell in, in this Q&A time is the facts and data could be it's my graduation day, my friends and family are there to see me, but, before I, but as I walk up on the stage, I trip and fall over in front of everyone. They're the raw, hard data and facts, but how do we interpret that? How do we retell the story? One way is, oh, you won't believe what happened. It was my graduation day. My friends and family were there. 
Ah, but I tripped and fell over in front of everyone. It was so embarrassing. It could have been the proudest moment of my life, but it wasn't. But the other way of saying it was, well, you won't believe what happened. It was my graduation day. Just when I got up to get my, my diploma, I tripped over and fell over in front of one. But you know what? My friends and family were there. It was the proudest day of my life. So it's all about how we retell the story. And that's exactly what the Bible says. God gives us a new song to sing. That's a big theme in the Bible. God gives us a new song to sing. So a new way of singing what's going on in our life. Well, the Bible also says that God gives us a new story to tell. Uh, so yes, yes, you know, um, I'm 40, I'm unfit, my kids won't talk to me, but you know what? There's a God who loves me, he made me, I'm his image, I have dignity in his eyes, so much so he sent his son Jesus to die for me, raise him from the dead. Jesus now lives for me and in me. And one day Jesus will come back for me. So in God's eyes, I'm worth so much. So, so there's a new story, a new song. So yes, always look on the bright side of life because there's a God who loves us. So how my questions? How am I defining success? Is it just in achieving goals, or is it just in trusting God? Well, let's say you got somebody who's made in God's image, and mm. that's a fact, but they don't trust in Him in that way. Are they are they a success story in God's eyes because He's made them in His image, or are they a success story in God's eyes when they trust in Him? Okay, so are you a success story in God's eyes because you're made in His image, or your success story because you? trust in him. Yes, yeah, so again, nuance. So you, we have infinite worth because we are made in his image. So in that sense, no matter what we do or don't do, doesn't decrease the worth. So what's happening in the Western story, we have to do to achieve. So someone pointed out, we went from human beings, where we have worth just by being a human, to human doers, because a Descartes, I think, therefore I am, so I, I have to achieve, I have to earn, I have to gain to get worth, but in God's eyes, we are human beings in his image, so we have worth, but, you know, like, just like you have those four burners, there's work, there's friends, there's family, there's fitness, for uh, the ultimate success in God's eyes are is the relational one, are we in a good relationship with God, are we right with him? And so, yes, we have infinite worth, but at the same time, we need to be right with God. So then we need to trust God, love him, follow him, worship him, to be right with him. So there's a relational success as well as an achievement success. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't saying don't work harder. So I was saying do work. Do uh, work with what God's given you, the gifting and the circumstances. Be a faithful servant with the one, the five, or the ten talents He's given you. But know that the outcome really is in God's hands and not yours. So again, the balance is then praise Him 
and be humble if we get the returns we want, but trust in him. Don't be devastated when we don't get the returns we were after, because in the end there's a God who knows better. No worries. Thank you. Thanks. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.